0: Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys here this morning for part four of our teaching series, Unchanging. And before we jump into part four, uh, I just want to talk about real quickly what Pam brought to us, what that video brought to us. And uh, Andrew, do you mind grabbing the lights real here? Because I love looking at their beautiful faces. There they are. Uh, Real quick, I want to look into the camera. Welcome those watching online. Thanks for joining us. Real quick about our sound system, you heard in the video two of our speakers are crackling. In other words, it's these two right here that are about ready to go out on us. Which means some Sunday, you won't hear nothing on this side of the room. Everyone else over here, you will hear it. And here's the problem too with our speakers. All of our equipment from our booth to what the band plays with, it's like a Cadillac. Our speakers are like a Ford Hugo. It doesn't go well together, right? And so to get the best sound quality for the best thing, uh, we need to upgrade this stuff because it's going out. And this full transparency, it is about a $60,000 project for us to transform the sound in this room. And so we need your help, and we're asking above your offering that you, or above your tithe, excuse me, that you would give an offering towards this goal of ours. If you also notice, we are flying four speakers that are just one speaker. You go into any real event center, auditorium, larger worship centers, they fly what's known as a line array. You may have seen them where there's a couple speakers and they kind of go down like that, right? It's just a little angle like that. That way, it's a better dispersion of, the, of the, what's the sound, right? This is why those in the middle of the room, you are getting blasted. Because they, it is directly pointing to you. This is why you can sit in the first three or four rows and feel like everything's muffled. Because you're under the line that the sound is going. Even in the back, that sounds different. Wherever you sit sounds different in this room. And what is setting this up for us is, yes, speakers are going out, but it also sets us up for the expansion of the worship center. That we won't have to do that because the line arrays will provide what we need for the expansion. So, uh, we're asking, please donate towards that. We need about it's a $60,000 project that we are asking to give above your tithe. So, pray over that, be thinking about that, because Lord knows. Those are about ready to blow on us right there. And it may be part of my fault because I blare worship music very loud in here when I'm in here alone. But Pastor JB walked through one time and he's closing his ears, like, oh my gosh. I was like, sorry, it's because I can't hear it because I'm praying on the stage and so the worship music's going that way. I need it loud. All right. Anyone else like it loud? You like it like uber loud In, in your car or at home? Anyone like, I can't stand loud music? All right, just a few. There you go, that's all right. That's good, that's good, all right. Well, hey, let's jump into part four of our teaching series, Unchanging. And I just want to ask a quick question. Are you guys enjoying this series so far? Yes, all right, there we go. That's good, thank you. Uh, Well, bless God for that. Part four, Uh, my prayer is that as we enter into this teaching together, That you would fall more in love with Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for this teaching. We've been sitting in what's known as the Nicene Creed. In AD 325, the church leaders got together, what's known as the Nicene Council, and took all of Scripture, approximately 870,000 words, and made a Cliff Notes version of the essentials of our faith to 271 words known as the Nicene Creed because the church was under attack. They were attacking the deity of Jesus. Was Jesus truly God? And that teaching that he was not God was beginning to seep into the churches back in the 300s. So they got together and says, no, we have to know what are unchanging truths that we will drive a stake in the ground as a firm foundation that no matter what culture says or when storms of life come, this will be our solid basis for what we believe. And we've been, excuse me, we've been working our way through it. In week one, we learned that there is one God. There is how many friends? There is one God, the maker of heaven and earth, of things visible and invisible. We looked at this idea in week one that God is a creator God and that he did all of creation and there was one unique, special creation. We learned the term imago day, which literally means it's an unmatched dignity or you have a unique pers- a pers- uh, purpose. This is on us as humans, that you and I are the imago day, the image, the reflection of this one God. And we are special of all creation, that God deeply loves you. You are the Imago day. Week two, the creed went on and basically most of the creed was written for that second paragraph because they were under attack and said that this Jesus was of the essence of God. In other words, that the creed was saying that Jesus is God. He is the same as God. We learned in week two this idea of the Trinity, that there is one God. But there is three in one, three personhoods. There is the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. That it's a little different, and I know that some of our theology got stretched in it or just trying to understand it. It was very hard to understand, but go back to week two and understand this idea that our tr- the true God you and I worship is the triune God. It's the triune God. Last week, the creed continued on about the life of Jesus, and we understood that Jesus came and pulled up the chair with sinners. We had understood this idea that this word was hypostatic union, that God, uh, Jesus, was fully God and fully human. It's one man, Jesus, with two natures, God and human. He knew everything what it was like to be human, to be tempted, but yet he was sinless, and he knew everything what it was like to be deity, to be fully God. He came to pull up a chair at the table with sinners. Last week we we talked about this idea together. But this is where we're going today. It's heavy. This is a heavy teaching, but I want us all to embrace it together. Because I love you too much to not tell you the full truth the next part of the Nicene Creed reads this way. He is to come with the same body and with the same glory of the Father to judge the living and the dead of his kingdom. There is no end. And even just looking at the word judge, you can feel the weight in the room, a pin drop. You know why? because no one ever likes being judged. Have you ever felt judged before? I think we're all on the same boat, right? We've probably felt that before at some point in our life, like they're judging me right now. Maybe perhaps it was your first date you ever went on. Maybe you got to the date first, you pulled up the chair, sat, you thought you were looking good, you spent enough time to look good, and then they begin to come in and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, they're looking, oh, they got a smirk, like, is my hair okay? Am I wearing the right clothes? Do I have broccoli in my teeth? Like, oh no, especially around here, we would say cilantro. Do I have cilantro in my teeth? Like, <laughs> it's the date. And we're, we're nervous a little bit by that person coming in seeing us. Are, are they judging me in this moment? Do I look okay? Maybe perhaps for others, you've been judging. You know what it's like to be the brand new guy on a job or the brand new girl on the job. And all these potential, you know, co-workers of yours are staring you down and you're like, oh man, they're eyeballing me like, am I going to carry my weight? And I'm the guy that brought the plant into the office, like, is that okay? Type thing. But you, maybe perhaps you felt judged before and we don't like it. It feels like when we're judged, people are looking down upon us. And in our culture today screams, don't judge me. This is a judgment free zone, right? We we have the term that's I think horribly wrong, but you know, you do you and I do me. Don't judge me. I love you enough to bring you the truth today. But let me ask you another question. Has anyone ever done wrong to you? Hurt you? Brought pain in your life? And more than likely, you want justice. You want the wrong righted. And you want justice. But let me ask you another question. Have you ever done wrong to someone else? You wronged another person. And if you have, you know what you want? Grace and forgiveness and mercy. When someone wrongs you, justice Judge they gotta pay the price. But when we wrong someone else, please give me mercy. Please give me mercy. And the Nicene Creed tells us that there will be one day you and I will stand before our Maker and we are judged. Last week we talked about one of the one of my favorite stories about Zacchaeus, where Jesus pulled up a chair at the table with Zacchaeus, a sinner, chief tax collector, the one you probably despised deeply. He pulled up the chair with godly compassion, holding grace freely, but truth firmly. And in the moment we understand that There's a change that salvation entered Zacchaeus' home. And we are so grateful, even in our mess and our chaos as sinners, as people who just get things wrong sometimes, that Jesus pulls up his chair with us. We are grateful that in those moments, he meets us with grace and truth to help us course-correct our life, that the path you and I are walking down is not the life Jesus came and paid a heavy price for you and I to walk, that he's course correcting us, but he's doing it full of grace as well. We're thankful for these moments. Even last week, there's a portion of the creed that we just skipped over last week, but I want want to bring it up. It's the paragraph right before this one. It says this, that he, referring to Jesus, suffered, was crucified, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven with the same body, and sat at the right hand of the Father. That is where Jesus is in this moment. The Father is in heaven in his throne, and Jesus is at his right hand. Who is the Godhead that is speaking and still pulling up chairs in the moment of our lives today? It's the Godhead of the Holy Spirit. I met a person about five years ago at a coffee shop. And um, I I didn't know what the meeting was going to look like. Most of the time, I don't know. So I try to get prayed up, right? Like, oh, man, Lord, help me to look like you in this meeting. Help me to have grace. Help me to have mercy, even though that's a low spiritual gift of mine. Increase that gift. And help me just listen. Listen. I pulled up the chair at the table. They beat me there. They pulled up, they were sitting, and I pull up a chair, and they just began crying. And I knew they started to share a little bit of their story, and I knew a little bit of it, but started to share that how they're a drug addict. And they began to shake and cry and says, I don't even know why I'm attending Sunday morning. And I have a smirk on my face because I know who's working on her life right now and she doesn't. Why are you smiling? I'm crying and you're smiling? Yeah, because you're encountering the Holy Spirit right now. The Holy Spirit pulls up the chair and you're ready to jump in with him. You know, one day, there's something else that's gonna be coming and it's judgment. And I know this teaching this morning is gonna feel heavy. It's gonna be a heavy weekend, and you can feel the weight. And maybe for some of you that grew up in church, you heard, all oh, the fire and brimstone message, right? Turn, and bur- turn or burn, right, type message. That's not my aim this morning. My aim is not to scare you My aim in the midst of it is to tell you the truth of what's gonna happen in eternity. And that you and I would walk away more thankful to Jesus Christ than ever if you follow him this morning. Or if you're kicking the tires of this God and Jesus and this idea, you're more of a seeker or a skeptic at this point, that maybe perhaps you would pause and consider who Jesus is. So my aim is to take you Into a courtroom scene. Because the book of Romans, as Paul's writing to the church in uh, in Rome, talks a lot about that. But before we do, I wanna pray, but I wanna show us one, one scripture that tells us about this. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, God now commands all people everywhere to what, friends? Repent, what does the word repent means? It means to turn, to turn away or turn into another direction. Please hear me in this moment. I love you too much to say this. I think Christians are good at confessing, but we're awful at repenting. We're good at confessing. I looked at pornography, but the same next day, we're doing it again and again and again. And we don't repent. We don't sit there and God, I'm repenting and I'm turning back to you. We gossip, we gossip, we gossip, and we know it's wrong, and we can't stop talking around pe- uh, behind people's backs. And what do we do? God, please, I'm confessing my sin to you. I gossiped. I shouldn't have done that. But th- when tomorrow rolls around, you do the same thing. We don't repent. We're called to do both confession and repentance. I think the church has to get better at repenting, of truly turning away from that sin and walking God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has he set a day. God has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness. A day has been set when you and I will meet the maker face to face. By the man he has appointed, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him Jesus from the dead. So this morning as we walk through this courtroom scene in eternity, my prayer for you is that you would be opened, that you would ask Holy Spirit to be gentle and remind you of things that you need to be reminded of, and that we would just have a heart of gratitude. So if you will, before we jump in, I wanna pray for us. So let's pray together. Father, we humble ourselves before you. We ask as we jump into a a heavier teaching that we would just inhale and exhale. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you comfort us? Would you open the eyes to our heart and to our minds? To things maybe perhaps we've never seen before, or where we just need a spiritual awakening. Jesus, we love you so much. May we have an incredible gratitude for what you did as we look at this judgment. And we pray that in the matchless name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. So let's walk through this image of a courtroom. And I'm going to share about four or five different things about this courtroom that one day you and I will stand before our maker. Here's the very first thing. Know this. Number one, there, whoa, there is a trial coming. There is a trial coming. And you can't stop it. Billy Graham can't stop it. The Apostle Paul cannot stop this trial from coming. You one day will take your last breath on earth and face God in judgment. It's coming. There's nothing you and I can do to escape it. In the book of Romans, as Paul's writing to the church of Rome, he gives us this courtroom metaphor of the possibilities of what this judgment can look like. Romans chapter 14 reads this way. For we we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Oh, Ryan, today you're a buzzkill. I love you too much. And so does God to leave you where you're at and not know the full truth. How much would I have to despise you to not teach you about this? I love you too much. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. For it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account. There is one day you and I will stand before God. A trial is coming and you and I will be in the courtroom of the trial before God to give an account of everything we have done. Why, Ryan, does there have to be a trial? Like, can't God just like do something else? Why? Why? Because evil has to be dealt with. God is holy and just and right. And his character, he cannot act outside of his character. That is who God is. And evil and bad things must be dealt with. I love that we get into the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. And we get a little glimpse of the throne room of God. In Revelation chapter 4, it's pretty amazing what the throne room of God looks like. In in chapter four, verse eight, it reads this each of the four living creatures creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Now stop right there. That's kind of a scary image, isn't it? Like not quite sure what that looks like, but I don't know if I want to, but it kinda of scary, it's kinda of cool. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are in praise of this holy God. That They are just, God, you are holy, you are almighty, you are all-powerful, you are all-knowing. That is who you are. And sin and God cannot coexist. Holiness and sin are apart. And God has to deal with the sin and disruption on his creation. He is a holy God. He is a perfect God. He is a loving, triune God. He says, I have to deal with the distortion of sin upon my creation. It's got to be dealt with. A trial is coming. And every single one of us, we will be participants in that trial. Which leads us to the second point that God is judge. Not you, not I. But God, he's the one, if you will, our analogy in the judge's chair. He is the one that is initiating the trial. And you you and I are there. He sits at the bench with the gavel in his hand. He is holy and just. He's the only one that can do it rightly. You know why you and I can't do it rightly? Because you and I's definition of justice is different. We both, we look at one crime and you may think that justice is this way and I may think justice is this way. We may be biased when it comes to something. We have different ideas of what judgment is. But he is all power enough to do what he promised. He's fair enough to face the judgment in the reality of sin in the world. Only God. And here's the issue in our culture today. There's too many of us in this seat with the gavel in hand. And you know who's on trial? God's character. We are judging his character. Did God really say that? Did God really call that a sin? And we want the gavel and try God's character. I don't know if we really, God, I don't know if you really meant that. Maybe I should do justice. Maybe I'll determine what's right and wrong, what's sin and not sin. But based on what I feel, God, your character is on trial. And you know who else we put on trial is we love to sit in the seat is the people who have done us wrong. Can I speak to those who are just hurting in this moment because someone did you wrong? I hope this verse would speak life to you. I hope this verse in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, will bring life to you and take a burden off your back. Do not avenge yourselves. For vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You don't have to judge. Let God do what he's going to do. And as a follower of Jesus, you know what you're called to do? When the hurt and pain come your way, when you feel like you're backstabbed, you're called to forgive, not judge. That's God's. I'm not here sitting, saying forgiveness is so easy to do. But with the power of the Holy Spirit living in you and working through you, it's a whole lot easier. It's a process. It may take years, but we are called to forgive. Let the vengeance and judgment be God's, not us. And maybe that's for someone in this room right now. You can just take that weight off. It's not us to, ours to carry, it's God's. Not only is a trial coming, and not only will God be the judge, but he'll be the defendant. I know the news gets worse before it gets better. God is the judge, and in the courtroom, you will be standing in the defendant's box on trial. For everything you've done, Every little white lie, every little thing you cheated, every little thing that you may have stole, every secret private sin that you have in your life. We will stand trial for everything. And I know in this temporary life that we were walking on earth, we feel like we can hide from the sin sometime and away from it. But there will be one day you and I will be in the judgment or in the defendant's box being judged. No, we don't like it. And sometimes we think, you know what, that judgment day is only for the worst people. It's only for the murderers or the, the, the pedophiles, the, pedof- the predators that are out there. It's only for them. No, it's not. It's for all of us. Romans three twenty three says this, for, what's this one word, for? Uh, that's all of us. For all have sinned, you and I, our neighbors, our loved ones. We all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. A justice right, holy God, has to deal with that. And here's the problem God detests sin in our life because sin distorts who we are and it destroys everything it touches. Sin will destroy marriages. It will destroy your character. And God looks upon his imago Dei, the image bearers of who he is, and says, I don't like that. The problem is the sin needs to be dealt with. And on that day, your parent will not be holding your hand your pastor will not be holding your hand. I'm not going to be holding your hand up there. The pastor vouched for me. Tell him how many times I went to church. Ah. Tell him how many times I, 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 was, I was serving all over the church. Tell God that. Tell him. Ah, I'm not going to be there. That's between you and God now. My day will come too. Apparently your day came earlier than mine. That's all. That day comes, it will be you and your maker. And the issue is, we'll be found guilty. When we stand in the presence of God, we will fully understand. When we are before God, we have no leg to stand on on our own. Before God, we are sinful. God is holy. (laughs) If you've ever lied, cheated, stole, talked bad about someone behind their back, did something wrong with motives, please hear me. You will be found guilty. I told you it's a heavy message. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is what, friends? It's death. Spiritually and physically, it's death. Ryan, come on. I mean, seriously, death. it's, It's one little white lie. Like, that's all it is. And seriously, you're telling me that one little white lie causes death? Like, spiritual death that I will be condemned to hell for all eternity? Like, seriously? Well, let me give a new example of this. Say you come over to my house. I'd love for you to come over to my house. And let's say we're outside and I see you walk over to a tree and you kick the tree. I would look at you and say, Well, that was weird. (laughs) A little unusual. (laughs) I don't know why you needed to kick my tree, but weird. But you come to my house and you kick my son. Or one of my daughters, you've offended me now. Sin must be dealt with because it is so offensive to God. Sin is offensive to a holy, right God. And it must be dealt with. There is a trial coming, friends. You can't stop it. God will be the judge. You and I will be in the defendant's box, found guilty, Of the things we've done. Let me take you back to the courtroom real quick. Put yourself back into the courtroom. You will stand one day in eternity as God sits behind the bench. And you will stand before Him with the gavel in the hand. And for the first time, I truly believe you fully understand I deserve it. I deserve it, God. But there's a beautiful promise in Scripture found in Romans chapter 6. It's so beautiful. It may say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In who, friends? In Christ Jesus' see, one day we're going to have to, as we stand before God, be held accountable to what we do with Jesus. What we do with him. And if we receive this, it's almost like God, in a, play with me for a minute, imagine with me that God's sitting there going, hey, here's the record. You, you did a lot of bad things. Other people may have twice the stack or three times that stack, But listen, there's a lot of things you did in this world. And I got to, this has to be taken care of and dealt with. And it's almost if God's ready to send the judgment upon you, raise the gavel, and it's like Jesus gets behind the bench and says, hold on, hold on, Jesus. Or hold on, God, hold on. Remember something. I offered to take their sentence. I went to the cross for them. I took all of this upon me for them so that when they stand before you, they are clothed in a robe of righteousness. I paid for everything they did. So when God sees you not marred in sin, he sees you clothed in righteousness and he sees his son Jesus on you. It's beautiful, but that's if we've given our life to him. Romans 3.25 says, Jesus' God-given destiny was to be the sacrifice to take away sins. The NIV reads this way, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. He had to atone for the sins. The sentence you and I deserved went on him to the shedding of his blood. That's it. The bad news is, you are guilty. But the good news is, with Jesus, your sentence has been taken care of. Oh, and we worship him for that. Oh, we worship him. God didn't change the sentence. He just changed who received it, and it was Jesus. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah chapter 53 about that punishment and that sentence that Jesus took for you and I. And Karen's gonna read that over for you. And I want that to settle in on your heart. What was played out on the cross was something that Jesus took your sentence that should have been ours. It should have been ours. If you're a Christian this morning, I pray as you hear and read the words from Isaiah. that you would have gratitude and for the seeker that maybe something would be spurred within you knowing that there's a savior of the world that did that for you that deeply desires a relationship so may the scripture be spoken over you as you reflect on the account that should have happened to you and I but instead Jesus took it in place of us. People still today say, how can a loving God send someone to hell? (laughs) Oh no. If you wanna spend eternity in hell, you can, but you literally have to step over the person of Jesus Christ. A loving God sent his son Jesus to take your sentence. He's not condemning you or sending anyone to hell. It's our choice, but you have to step over his son Jesus to get there. I love you enough not to share this truth of what may happen or what will happen someday, eternity. There is beauty in our faith, that the God we serve, the triune, the maker of heaven and earth, desires a relationship with everyone. And this is how he did it, through his son, Jesus. And it's pretty simple. Romans ten nine reads this way. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Watch this. You will be saved. That is a promise. Ryan, why doesn't it just say, declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord? Because even the demons believe that. Satan believes that. But it's believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You're saved. So I look in this room and knowing this heavy-weighted message, if you're a Christian, this should move you to gratitude and action. Gratitude being that you are so thankful for what Jesus did that when you stand trial before God, you are clothed in righteousness because he took your sentence for you. And that you will hear the words one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to the kingdom. And it should move you to action. Knowing that perhaps there are lost loved ones, family members, neighbors and coworkers and classmates that are far from God. I pray Holy Spirit would give you the courage to open your mouth and speak your faith. A faith that changes lives. I pray over the church that Holy Spirit would come and give us a holy boldness. Because we are never guaranteed the next day. And if you are on the scales of not sure about this Jesus or God, And we often say around here, you're just kicking the tires about this thing. To the skeptic and the seeker, this should move you to pause and consider. If this is real, and oh, I truly believe it's real, pause and consider, what are you gonna do with Jesus? And do you know why many times maybe perhaps people don't go all the way with Jesus? I think there are two major things. Because the offer's for everyone. I think it's because you have to admit you're a sinner and sometimes that's really difficult to do. And following Jesus, please hear me, demands your whole life. Maybe you're wrestling with that today. Maybe in this moment you're realizing, man, I, I thought I'd given my life to God, but I realized there's so many things I'm holding on to. And I haven't gone all in. God isn't looking for part-time Christians. He's looking for full-time devol- devoted followers of Him. Too many times, friends, we hire Jesus as Savior, but we fire Him as Lord it's time to go all in. Prayer partners, prayer team, will you come and gra- go to your corners in this moment of our service? I'm gonna give us an opportunity in this service to fully go in. And maybe you just need to talk to one of our prayer partners, Jamie and Sarah Smith, Chad and Rebecca Van Dozen. They would love to pray with you. Maybe it's something that you're holding on to, and you know you shouldn't be. You thought you committed your life to Jesus, but you're like, Ryan, he's totally in the passenger seat, I've got both hands on the wheel. <laughs> it's time to let go. They would love to pray with you. Maybe for some of us that have never fully dedicated our life to Jesus Christ, I want to show this prayer for us. This prayer says, Dear Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am a sinner that will stand trial before you. I have no ability to save myself from the judgment that will come from my sin, but I trust Jesus as the forgiver of my sins. Thank you for allowing Jesus to take my punishment. I give you my life, my will, and will follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you need to pray this prayer right now. It's simple, friends. The team's going to lead us in a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And maybe for you, you just need to kneel at this altar between you and God and confess and repent some things. And maybe that's you. Please do so. Don't leave this service without talking to your maker. So I'm gonna ask you to stand and those that are watching online, I'm gonna ask you to stand as well. Go ahead and stand and I'm gonna pray for us. And then we're gonna to worship together and please use our prayer partners, use the stage and I'm gonna come back up after this song and then we're gonna close with another song. But let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I know there's someone in this room in this moment right now that needs to go to these prayer partners. I feel it, I know it. Stir within their soul. We cry out, Lord, have your way. Have your way. Oh, Father, would you help us? For those of us that have called ourselves a Christian, we haven't gone all in. May we take that step, we may be hurting and broken in this moment, but you're here to meet us. And for those of us that have not confessed you as Lord and Savior, may we do this in this moment. And for those of you that want to do it, just repeat these words quietly after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I confess I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus to take on my punishment. I give you my life. I put my faith and trust into you this morning. I give you my life forever. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Father, may we come to the altar knowing you will meet us there. In a moment of full surrender, we pray this. The Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us. May we humbly submit not only our lives, but our wills, our desires, everything to you. Oh, Jesus, you are standing there telling us, You don't have to take the sentence, I already did. And we give you everything we have to the one who paid it all for us, the one who loves us so deeply, didn't leave us in the distortion of sin in our lives. But oh God, you looked down upon your imago day and says, I will not leave you like that. Justice and righteousness will be restored. And we thank you. The penalty of the cross was sentenced on your son, Jesus. But it should have been us. Oh Father, have your way. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a song that I absolutely, with this message and this idea, there's a song as we close, and it is called Reckless Love. And I know churches sometimes get a little bit of hurt to say, there's nothing reckless about God, 100%. But to our human condition, it looks reckless that he would go after people who hurt them because our humanity, our flesh says, let's get justice or judge them or something to come upon them bad because they hurt us. And even as you and I run away from God, he's still chasing us down. The bridge goes like this. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. I hope you feel the love of God as we sing this song. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99, and I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, Jesus, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for Jesus this morning? Oh, he's ready. May we sing as we sing that bridge and chorus. Again, may we have a heart of gratitude. I will gladly worship God. Let's worship as we close.